Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Sea Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and joining me for episode 275 of the show is Keaton DeRocher and Bob Osgood, both of Over the Monster. Gentlemen, it's almost summertime. Do you guys have a favorite fish? Uh, to catch or to eat or just to, to, look to at? eat to eat Keaton. oh to eat yeah do you guys eat fish I yeah. do yeah I like a I like a nice teriyaki glazed salmon okay that's a good choice do you uh, have any preference as to whether that salmon is wild caught or farm raised no okay all right whichever one is the I'm um, supposed to be the most humane and doesn't get pita sent after me. Okay, good answer. Bob, how about you? Are you a fish eater? Yeah, I'd say if I'm out to eat, I'm getting scallops. Okay. If I'm home, if I'm cooking, it's going to be salmon, because I'd, I'd screw everything else up, I think. Salmon's pretty easy to cook. Do you do it on the grill or in a pan? Uh, usually pan, but I gotta, I got to mix that up. i got to get grilling more this summer. How do you mess Apparently scallops summer's up, around man? the corner in April. What's that? How do you mess scallops up, man? It's like 30 seconds on each side. Uh, it, it's more that I don't want to pay the obscene price to cook scallops and then probably, <laughs> you know, That's fair. do something wrong. So yeah, I just I get them when I want to eat. Yeah, there you go. There you Thanks go. for calling me out. That's a better answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, good choices all around. Uh, we're not here to talk seafood. We are here to talk Boston Red Sox. And we're going to get you uh, caught up on all sorts of news. The Adam Duvall injury. The starting rotation, um, which is going to look very different very soon. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about the bullpen, the defense, and uh, these mighty rays that the Red Sox are facing uh, tonight. Tonight was the first game. Um, We're recording this right after that one to nothing loss to the Rays, so um, we'll hit on that a little bit as well. But we're going to start off with the biggest news of the night. 
which is uh, Adam Duvall uh, fracturing his wrist in the last game of the sweep against the Detroit Tigers. Um, the sweep was good news coming off being swept by the Pirates. Um, but unfortunately, Adam Duvall fractured his left wrist, which is the same wrist that he had surgery on this past season. Um, there's no timetable for when he's going to be back here. Um, you know, definitely going to be many weeks, um, could be many months at this point. But, you know, the, the biggest thing to take away from all this is that Adam Duvall has been the most valuable player on the Red Sox to this point. He has, uh, you know, through 37 plate appearances this year, he's got 14 RBIs, four home runs, slashing 455, 514 with a 1,030 slugging percentage and a 314 WRC+. He's already been worth one win. Um, he's been playing a decent center field. He's not been striking out a lot. Um, he's playing unbelievable. He was carrying this offense to to some degree. I mean, the closest guy to him offensively was Rafael Devers with a 187 WRC+. Um, but he was really like the driver of this offense early on. Clear that we uh, don't think that he was going to keep this up and, you know, have historically the greatest season of all time or anything, but still just a massive loss for this Red Sox team. So my first question about this injury uh, is for you, Keaton. How do the Red Sox cover center field in the meantime uh, from a defensive standpoint? Uh, man, well, it's a good question. Um, it. They definitely have a lot of options, a lot of kind of the potential scenarios we were talking about a lot in uh, free agency, um, though it seems like um, TK Hernandez isn't going to be part of the options for now, um, at least. But uh, Ruff Steiner is getting a tick up in playing time. Uh, Tapia is going to get a chance. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if we see Duran up here. Uh, not too long from now uh, to see what's going on with him. Um, I don't really know if we have like a consistent answer. I think it really just kind of feels like it's going to be a bunch of a uh, bunch of different guys every day. I don't think there's going to be a consistent plug to that hole there. It's just kind of whoever's on the roster. Yeah, there's not really an easy option for yeah. this right now. Um, Ref Snyder drew the first start tonight. Um, as we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show, something that's kind of crazy is the Red Sox are just going up against an immense number of lefties uh, over these next you know six-plus games here. Um, so he might continue to draw starts there in center field. Uh, Tapia could be an option there, as you mentioned. Um, there is some potential that they could maybe play Kike out there and uh, put Yu Chang at shortstop, but I mean, that's not going to be the best thing for the offense. So there's no easy answers. Bob, how would you approach this situation if you were managing the team? What would you do to kind of cover this up? Well, first off, I'd be lying if I didn't think this was coming from a mile away. They were one injury away from scrambling um, because I don't think they prepared for this. Um Especially once it's kind of sneaky the way that Mondesi got put on the 60 day IL right before the season, because all the reports that I was reading that, you know, he's starting to take ground balls and working his way back into it. I thought he was going to be back in April. So once that happened, I'm thinking they're one move away from scrambling and it goes back to why they didn't sign an Elvis Andrews or a Jose Iglesias. So the first thing that I would do would be call Miami where Iglesias is sitting at AAA and say we need somebody that can play shortstop and hit for a decent average and move Kike Hernandez to center field because Kike Hernandez has a negative four outs above average, the worst at any position in the entire Major League Baseball through 10 games. So I don't, and he has five errors. So I don't feel like that um, experiment is going very well. And I don't think that it's time to panic yet. But at the same time, I mean, what happens if they get another injury? And really with what you mentioned with the lefties, they just kind of need to look at this nine game stretch and say, all right, how are we going to get through this? And then what's our team going to look like after this stretch? Because it could be a very, you know, you might need to make two or three moves 
after that just because of you know the reason Duran isn't up is because you need to have a more right-handed heavy um, lineup for this week um, to combat all the lefties that they're facing so I think all the names that you mentioned in the short term I can't believe we're talking about Bobby Dahlbeck potentially playing some shortstop when he's up as your um, backup or your answer or something like that I think you need to go get creative outside of the organization this is not going to work for a winning team this year no he's not any of those things no. you guys think that you can guess there's one player on the roster with a positive defensive runs saved do you think you can guess who that is uh devers connor wong is connor wong wow huh well i mean i'm not gonna put too much stock into defensive runs saved at this point in the year but i have to agree with you keaton it doesn't um Seem to bode well for this, but I think that you nailed it, Bob, that there is no good internal answer um, to this defensive question. And it does speak to the problems that we were talking about with the roster construction coming into this season. But I think that um, the the thing about the lefties is kind of stunning. You know, you had mentioned before we got on the show that they had just faced like three lefties in a row and now... They started off tonight with Jalen Beeks and, and Fleming. They're going to have Shane McClanahan. Then they'll get a righty in Zach Eflin. Then they're going to have a lefty in Jeffrey Springs, Patrick Sandoval, Tyler Anderson, Reed Detmers, Jose Suarez. Those are all lefties that they're going to be facing before they finally get to Sonny Gray again, who is a, a right-hander. Um, so, I mean, what does this do to the roster in the meantime, Keaton? Because this is like... This was the thing when we were trying to put together the the roster and what the starting lineup would be before the season. It was a much easier for us to come up with what the roster would be against right-handers than against left-handers, and there've been some different permeations here, but permutations. But what would you do against all these lefties coming up? I mean, are you just going to run Ref Snyder out in center field every day? Is he going to be a de facto starter for the next week? Yeah, I mean, I think he is, um, and that's why. I- Bobby's back. So another right-handed bat there. Um, and he's pr- we're probably going to actually see him get some starts at first, I would assume, to give uh, Costas a spell here. I don't, I'm don't. i not sure we're going to see Costas every single day. Um, at, but, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. Hmm. That's well, – they're going to be forced to have, a, a, I think, at least two in the line. Well, actually, I guess no, they're not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they are. They're going to have at least two in the lineup. Um, but right now it's pretty lefty heavy. So we're going to see probably Wong a lot, Ruff Snyder a lot, and Dahlbuck um, probably at least uses a pinch hitter almost every single game. So Bobby Dahlbeck, over the course of his career, he's been a much better hitter, obviously, against lefties. He's a career 268 hitter uh, with 19 home runs against lefties, and the splits are pretty drastic. Using WRC Plus, he's 128 versus 85 versus righties. Um, Bob, I mean, is it going to be enough for the lefty killers here in Ref Snyder and Bobby Dahlbeck here up filling in for the team? Between those two guys and their drastic platoon splits against lefties, is that going to be enough to kind of carry the offense for this meantime? Probably not. I think that the... I think the lack of a power hitter that they had last year was what was so important for Duvall being there, right? I mean, Story was gone most of the season, and then Story's going to be gone most of this season. And they really just, other than Devers, didn't have that power hitter that could get up and hit a three-run homer in a big spot, which, like you said, it's not going to happen all year, but Duvall did time and time again. I mean, you mentioned that he had one war. What's what's a win above replacement worth in free agency like? five million or seven million depending on who you talk to which is basically like he had already given them the worth of the contract in that time i mean he was on a crazy pace and now you're bringing in some minor leaguers to fill those spots ref snyder was good last year but he's been a journeyman minor leaguer dahlbeck is getting called up from the minor leagues yu chang is a journeyman minor leaguer so no i don't feel like any of these guys can you know they can do it in short stints and maybe hit well against lefties and uh, have a decent obp but they are there is a glaring um 
hole for a power hitter with Duvall out in this lineup right now. It's a huge loss. Yeah, the first thing it made me think of um, is just the fact that the Red Sox are really going to need more from some guys who haven't been exceptional so far. I mean, Yoshida, I, I point to right away, he's been fine. He's walking a lot, um, you know, not hitting for a tremendously high average, not hitting for a ton of power. They're definitely going to need his bat to come awake and to rely on him. And they're going to need a little bit more power from Verdugo, who's been playing exceptional, but not really driving the ball very much. And they haven't really gotten much at all from uh, Justin Turner or Tristan Casas. So aside from the two, the two bombs from Casas, I mean, his slash lines under under 200 um, for his batting average and his OBP has been pretty bad. So. Yeah, they're going to need a lot of guys to step up uh, through this time, get hot um, in order to carry this. It's it's a. Uh, I'm not sure there are too many other guys who would have been worse injuries to this team at this point uh, than Adam Duvall. I think that's fair to say. Probably just just Devers at this point. Yeah, and. You mentioned Verdugo, and the thing that kind of bothered me tonight, even though nobody hit, but, I mean, Verdugo's hitting three eighty-five this year against lefties, and a, almost has as many at-bats against lefties as righties, and he's hitting three twenty against right-handers, so you've got Kike who's hitting under one hundred. I don't think that they need to move Kike up to the leadoff spot and move Verdugo down when he's hitting three eighty-five against lefties and really doesn't have that much of a platoon split in his career. I... You know, again, nobody hit on Monday night, but I think that he should be in that leadoff spot. I mean, it's not like there's going to be a lefty in the game the entire time, and I would rather have that extra at bat at the end of the game go to Verdugo if uh, Kike is going to be hitting like this. Except that there was a lefty in the game almost the entire time today because of the yep. Rays. But yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I agree. I agree that uh, Verdugo should definitely be the leadoff guy. I've never understood why they, uh, you know, steered away from him in that situation. Um, all right, let's move on to the pitching side of things. Keaton, big news. Um, as the people are listening to this podcast, Garrett Whitlock is going to be getting geared up to make his season debut on Tuesday. Uh, it's going to be an absolute dandy of a start. Uh, we've got Garrett Whitlock going against Shane McClanahan. Must-see TV uh, for me, for sure. Um, how bullish are you on Whitlock based on his rehab starts? And do you think that he's going to come up and produce right away for the Red Sox? Sure. I think he can. Yeah. Um, I think it's hard not to be excited about how his rehabs went. They were pretty stellar. So, uh, yeah, feeling pretty confident about it and just kind of happy to have him back, um, kind of add some depth here to the rotation and the bullpen. So yeah, this, this is great. Great to have him back, and hopefully it won't be long before the rotation and, and uh, the bullpen kind of start rounding into season-long form. We'll feel a lot better about that. Bob, what do you think the roster move is going to be um, when Garrett Whitlock comes up? Is it going to be you know somebody from the pen going down, or how are they going to handle this situation? My thought is that's going to be Cutter Crawford going down, just – a starting pitcher for a starting pitcher. Um, there's some other moves that are looming that I think might force uh, at least one move that could be part of the 40-man and someone that's out of options, but I think for the first one, they might go safe and send down Crawford. Is it you're thinking that they'll send down Crawford because he just made a start yesterday um, and he won't pitch for a few more days, or is it your thought that they'd send him down because... You know, it makes more sense to send him down than, say, like a Caleb Ort. Yeah, exactly. I think that they just should stick with five starters and eight relievers and that Crawford is the sixth starter out of the group that's there right now. Um, you know, and if they need that spot, then you can, if there's an injury, you can call him back up and he's somewhat close to on the same uh, path as he was. What are your thoughts on this, Keaton? Do you agree with Bob that it's going to be Cutter Crawford, or do you think that it will be somebody else? I think that makes sense um, because I think you have to have, just given who is in this rotation, you have to kind of have a plan uh, in mind for who would make a start 
should you need a spot start from somebody due to an injury or you, do you know, need to – I mean, you probably wouldn't want to skip anybody in the rotation at this point. But just given how fragile the rotation is, I think you have to have somebody prepared. And Winkowski has been incredibly sharp and looked really good and maybe earned an opportunity, but he's also only gone, I think, two innings max in all of his starts. So he's not really – stretched out to that point, and I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense to start with Carter Crawford stretched out and then shrink his usage, um, and then you basically kind of have to decide between Winkowski and Carter Crawford, who's that, like, multi-inning guy. Um, so that's going to end up eating into innings for both of them. And I just think that kind of creates a headache. So you've got the options, just send Carter down to A, keep him starting, keep him stretched out, and then uh, – in the minute that you need a starter, he's there for you to use. And you feel confident about using him. I'm just going to play devil's advocate here um, with you guys. I think that they could potentially benefit from having two guys in the bullpen who can go two-plus innings. I know that they've used Kelly in that situation a couple times to go at least two innings. But, you know, why not send down somebody who's been really un- ineffective like uh, Caleb Bort? And keep a guy like Cutter Crawford up there as a as a long man in the bullpen, and potentially a guy who could come in, you know, turn over the lineup a a, a time or two, um, in the instance that you know one of your starters gets blown up early in a game. Well, I mean, if they're gonna, and I know that they're, it's not me that is going to um, kind of talk too much about this, but if they're gonna continue to only go five innings with the starters and have the most logged innings from a relief staff in the entire league, then you make a good point there. So I don't know. Do you guys think they should continue to yeah. take that approach, Keaton? <laughs> so my uh, devil's advocate to your devil's advocate, Jake, was going to be, I would like to see them use the bullpen less so that okay. it wouldn't matter if they were there. But <laughs> also, great point, Bob. Uh, they keep using, uh, pulling all of their starters out immediately after five innings uh, and turning o- over to the bullpen, and that they're going to overuse them like crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, it probably does make sense to have two guys in there that can eat up a whole bunch of innings because the, the rate that they are using the starters, they're going to need it. They're going to need to spell these guys in the bullpen uh, over the course of an entire season because they're, they're already way overused. Who do you think they should continue to do this with? Like, who should Cora throw five inning, five and dive, and who deserves the sixth inning out of the group that's out there now, rather than do it with everybody? Because, of course, that's not sustainable, and they play 20 games in 20 days. But I don't think it's person to person. I think it's start to start. There's a few starts here that have already happened that I've been really surprised that the pitcher has not gone back out there for the sixth. And it just is like, is this a trying to pace these guys it's i guess technically this was the second time through the order right pavetta finished that off so are they feeling better about letting their guys go is that what they were just protecting these guys or i don't don't know but i mean when we were talking before we brought up a great point like tanner hauk with an 8-3 lead against detroit after five innings um and with a low pitch count and low batter's face is the perfect opportunity to send him back out there to save the bullpen with a five-run lead and test his abilities to continue to go through the third time in the order, which has been his biggest like roadblock his entire career. Right. That was a perfect opportunity to see if he could do it. What, so why didn't they give him the chance? I don't understand that. It kind of seems to me like it's just a really clear um, signal to how they feel about their starting pitchers right now. Uh, in in where they are individually. Like, I don't think there's a tremendous amount of faith that Hauk can go out there and turn the lineup over for a third time. I don't think that, you know, with Sale and Kluber, how they've looked early on this season, that those guys have a a ton of faith to, to keep it up, and especially with the injury history with those two. You know, I that's kind of what keeps leading me back to this idea of, hey, two long men would be pretty damn nice in this bullpen. Um, and you had the numbers on it, Keaton, but like, haven't they not thrown a guy past five innings the entire year so far? No, they haven't. And that was um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of the last eight starts have they've been pulled at five on the nose. So wow. 
Yeah, I mean, your, your point about the the big lead against Detroit, I mean, that that's the time that, one, you can save the bullpen a little bit, and two, you can see if he's capable with a different pitch mix to go longer into the game. Um, you look at tonight, and you're bringing Winkowski back after throwing yesterday, I'm pretty sure, um, and he goes multiple innings. At the start of a four-game series against Tampa, that's obviously a huge series. I mean, Tampa's trying to find a way to run away with the division now. So, I don't know. It's just, it's strange to me, and Pavetta is a guy that he has not shied away from. I know he had a late start to spring training, but it wasn't up near 90 pitches or anything like that, I don't believe, when he was pulled. So No, 83. Okay, so I'm shocked they didn't give him one more inning there. Yeah. And you might not see it tonight, but it's just a trickle-down tomorrow or the day after if they play a bunch of these one-run games of someone that they can't use. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and even with Crawford, I can see that in a one-run game, pulling him there, but he was pitching really well. So it's just um, Kluber it reminded me of what they used to do with Rich Hill last year where he was, I don't know, closer to 60 pitches when they pulled him after five. So could just be a... Um, mentality that they have in April to try to keep people healthy throughout the year, but it's, it's certainly irritating in the moment. You yeah. also made a good point, Bob, or well, I don't know if you meant to make this point or it was just something you mentioned, but you also pointed out that they don't have an off day for like the next two weeks. So if they keep yeah. pulling their starters after five, their bullpen is going to be absolutely gassed. I don't understand this at all, though, because there's such a mental lift to the team to have a starter – go work into the seventh, eighth, you know, ninth inning. I mean, Sandy Alcantara, obviously a different cat, you know, had the complete game in under two hours, um, you know, down in Miami. But what that does to the bullpen, giving everybody a night off, not having to worry about it, not having to get guys up in the pen. I mean, that's just, it's huge. Um, I, I don't quite get it. And I think to your point, Bob, and, and you said this too, Keaton, you know, Nick Pavetta tonight, that's a perfect example of a guy who's been your healthiest starter over the last few years. You don't worry about him going out and throwing 30 starts plus every year. He's in the early 80s in terms of his pitch count. Why the hell aren't you going out there throwing him again when he's been having his four seam work all night long? Uke pointed this out on the broadcast, had a bunch of swings and misses on the four seam, and a curveball was electric tonight. Don't understand why you don't throw him out there again. When you've got good Nick Pavetta, you ride that good Nick Pavetta because <laughs> yeah. it's going to turn quickly. Yep. You know, you should you should see when you're getting that game out of him. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Chris Martin's thrown six out of ten games already, and um, I don't know. I can see some burnout. I can see some IL trips. Well, let me let me ask you guys this then: Is this a Cora problem? Well, it's hard to know. Yeah, I mean, it kind of feels like it. I mean, this is the one thing every year that we talk about uh, that's kind of the most inconsistent or difficult piece of the game for him is that bullpen usage. And we tend to get to August, September, and we've got a couple guys that he can't use anymore because they've been overworked. Ah, Matt uh, Barnes. Yeah, yeah, Welcome. Matt Barnes. Yeah. But, um, but is that being uh, dictated from somebody else? Is there someone that's saying, no, we're, we're not going to use our starters beyond this point because uh, some spreadsheet that I ran today tells us not to? Uh, I, I mean, know, if that's man. the it's case. His job. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's got to be Cora's decision. If yeah. He's, yeah. Says, he's got to be able to read the situation like we just talked about with Pavetta and Hauk and realize those are opportunities to get another inning out of those guys and save your bullpen and do it. And then, so they've played 10 games, and seven out of the 10, the starters have gone exactly five. And the other three, they got pulled early because they've given up seven runs. So it makes sense. So it it seems like, at least so far, there's a hard out at five, but it's taken a toll on the rest of the bullpen. So it's it's not great. I mean, if it's not Cora, is it, is it Bush? You know, who it's, I I just don't think it's fair to, put this on the front office and like, trust me, you guys know how I feel about this front office. <laughs> you really want to blame it on the front I office. I really want to blame it on the front <laughs> office, but I just feel like it's the guys in the dugout. But you hear yeah, more are. and more, and the, the the only reason I'm saying this is you hear more and more of that 
of um you know it wasn't kevin cash's call right to pull blake snell it's um you know we're going to do this in that game because you know we've noticed something on the third time through i don't i think it's probably core i agree with you um and i i don't like it at all but you know i just wonder how much of the game is shifting to pre-planned it's probably more so in the playoffs but pre-planned um decisions from that are analytically based and i you know i hope that's not the case I don't have a problem going into a game with that in mind, but adjusting as the game script dictates. Right. Yeah, there'd be some pretty dumb computers if, uh, you know, I'm not worried about the AI takeover if uh, this is how these these machines are going to be managing the bullpen. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay. Well, I guess with that, we'll uh, we'll pack up and move on to our next topic here. Um, Bayo and Whitlock, or Bayo and Paxton, I should say. I, I'm so used to grouping in Bayo and Whitlock there. Um, but Bayo and Paxton have just most most recently uh, made some rehab starts and are progressing towards returns. Um, Bayo has been throwing an extended spring training. Paxton just threw at Worcester. Um, Bob, you've got the numbers on those two guys. How have those rehab starts been going for them? And, and what are their next moves here before we have to start thinking about these guys arriving in Boston? Yeah, so Paxton looked pretty sharp in his um, latest rehab. He had uh, three innings. He struck out three. Gave up two hits, walked two, um, but the key there was that he was topping out just over 96 miles an hour and threw 58 pitches. Um, and then Bayo last threw in extended spring training. He went five innings and got up over 70 pitches, and he was hitting 94 to 95 for most of that start. So with Bayo, it seems to me that he's going to throw on Sunday, it sounds like, in Worcester. And then from there, uh, or he's throwing, excuse me, Tuesday in Worcester. So from there, I mean, his next start could potentially be Sunday. So where is that? Are they going to give him one more start in the minor leagues or, you know, depending on need and how he looks um, in that start in Worcester on Tuesday? Uh, it's possible that he's built up enough, having already thrown five innings, to make a major league start. But, you know, I guess a lot depends on what happens between now and this weekend and how he looks in that start. And then, you know, you'd have to think that Paxton, assuming that they still are um, kind of trending towards having him be a starter, which I haven't heard otherwise, and he's up to three innings and you know, maybe two to three weeks away. All right, so we think that Bayo's going to come first here and probably pretty shortly after Whitlock, depending on how he looks in his... Um, next rehab start but keaton who are the guys getting bumped from this rotation in the event that both uh bayo and and paxton uh make it back here well if ryan brazier isn't one of them see in the rotation I'll kill myself <laughs> <laughs> we said who's bumped from the rotation oh, i see i heard bumped and then immediately just went to i better be God, ryan things brazier. have gotten worse yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, that's a good question. Well, this um, is again why I think it makes sense for Cutter Crawford to go to the bullpen. Let's just pull off the bandage right now. Well, I mean, he is obviously one of them. And then, I mean, it's not going to be Sale. It's not going to be Kluber. And obviously, you just put Whitlock there. So he's your other starter. So it's going to be Hulk and Pavetta. Um, I imagine. Well, I mean, I guess they both have experience, but I guess, I, I mean, if did not, if how keeps pitching like this, he's got to stay. It's got to be Pavetta. I disagree. What if I figured keeps that you like would, this? but it's going to be pretty damn hard to to push him to the bullpen if he's pitching really damn well. But think about what that bullpen could be like. We already know how good yeah. Kenley Jansen, Chris Martin, yeah. John Schreiber, Josh Winkowski have been. If you get rid of Ryan Brazier and Caleb Ort and add in Hauken Crawford, and then you've got Paxton and Bayo in the rotation, I mean, that's going to be really good. Yep, it is. That is really good. You're not wrong. <laughs> but I, I'd love for Pavetta just to be that guy who's there uh, in case of blowouts, and you can just throw out there when you're down. Eight to three. He's going to light that locker room on fire if they put him in the bullpen. I don't think they can. It's it's just kind of like, to me, it, it seems antithetical to what Nick Pavetta is, right? Like, when you look at what Nick Pavetta does well, it's staying healthy, throwing a shit ton of pitches, and occasionally being good. That's a fifth starter. That's like, when you look up fifth starter in the textbook, it should just say Nick Pavetta. Yeah, but if you have a chance to have your fifth starter be a, like a little bit better than that, wouldn't you want that? I guess. I just don't believe that Tanner Houck, from what we've seen of him so far, is actually like great. I mean, if, if we're really thinking about it, he's thrown 10 innings. He's got a 4.5 ERA and a 5.10 FIP. It's not like we're talking about a guy who's going out there and throwing to a 2 ERA. He's been good for him, but... We're still talking about a guy who gives up too many long balls. He's got a 28.6% home run to fly ball rate. He's 15%, you know, K minus walk rate. He's not special. Yeah, but if wins still counted, he's the only one that's 2 0. Yeah, but who cares about wins? <laughs> it's 2023, man. Yeah, I mean, we know how good he is in the bullpen, obviously, if between. Like, just in a vacuum, if you're looking at Hauk and Pavetta in the bullpen, Hauk is obviously the option there. Right. So I actually think when everybody is healthy, and so I would put Hauk in the bullpen, I would put Paxton in the bullpen, which I don't oh, know yeah. whether it's going to happen. That but is something that you did bring up in the beginning. I would put Sale, Kluber, Whitlock, Bayo, and Pavetta in the rotation, and then you've got Paxton, Hauk, Winkowski, Joely Rodriguez, um, Martin, Jansen, Schreiber. That's seven good arms and a decent rotation if Whitlock and Bayo are who I think they can be. So yeah, I was starting Brazier? to get excited. Yeah, notice I left out Brazier. Um, <laughs> I was starting to get excited about kind of that group all coming back within two weeks. And once they get Rodriguez, the lefty back, how the bullpen could shape up too. Now, we know they're not going to all stay healthy, but I think if they do, I really like that how that all lines up, um, which is what makes kind of the Duvall injury and the how I'm feeling about the lineup right now that much more depressing because I was kind of starting to talk myself into this a little bit with um, yeah. you know a, a staff that I think can look pretty good. Yeah, I I wonder also what this could potentially mean for a guy like Richard Blyer. Uh, I don't know if they're super tied to him um, as the second lefty, especially when Joely Rodriguez comes back. But they're going to have a lot of options here. Um, like you said, the, the pitching could look pretty good uh, here coming up soon. I think it is worth talking about Josh Minkowski, though, because he's a name that you brought up um, that both of you guys have been talking about and just specifically how he's been used. The multi-inning usage here, um, he came in tonight and looked really good again against the Rays. 
Uh, he's been a pleasant surprise. Uh, and Jen McCaffrey of The Athletic wrote a article about how his stuff has ticked up in the offseason about the work that he did with some of the new, um, you know, pitching, pitch shape, pitch lab type guys that the Red Sox have hired um, in the offseason and specifically worked on throwing his cutter a lot more, working on refining the grip of his slider. Um, he's been a game changer. So, you know, just from watching him, have you guys noticed a difference before you kind of learned what was going on under the hood from Winkowski? Is this something that both of you could kind of tell that he had changed before even getting into the numbers? No, I mean, I think I, I test wise, he's just looked more confident. And I think that the bullpen, I think they figured out a good spot for him. Um, the cutter is definitely a different pitch. I mean, you look at the, uh, the batting average again, so I don't think he's given up a hit on the cutter yet. And he gave up a 250 average last year. He's using it more than twice as much as he did a year ago. I thought the article was great. I thought it really outlined how he stayed with the team for the entire off season, like from October on to kind of work, um, and look at his pitches, look at the way all the pitches were moving and working off of one another, you know, this, whatever the hell seam shifted wake is, but they were trying to incorporate those things. And then after reading that today and then watching him for two innings, you really just see how the pitches all kind of work off of each other between, um, you know, the, the slider and the sinker and cutter that are, everything's kind of going a different direction. And he's got a different windup. He's going over his head this year, kind of more old school look. And it's just, I don't know. I, I, I think, I test wise, he looked a lot more confident. And then there was a quote from Cora over the weekend that was really kind of, I think, wanted to call out how much work he put in in the offseason to get to where he is. Um, so it seems like Cora's confident in using him in more leverage situations in the last few days. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, Keaton, is this the way that he should be deployed the rest of the year if his stuff is continuing? To tick up like this, I mean, the velocity on the fastball is up almost two miles an hour on average. Um, as as Bob mentioned, the cutter and the slider have been great, very sharp. You know, is is this the best way to deploy him? Yeah, yeah, I think it is. And the, I mean, the pitch values on those scores are kind of nuts. Um, two on two point oh on the cutter, one point two on the slider. Those are very strong. Um, and the way that he has shifted in throwing those pitches, I mean, he has really focused on throwing the cutter uh, almost 50% of the time um, and then playing with the slider off of that. That pitch mix really plays well in the bullpen um, and has really kind of been like a two-and-a-half pitch pitcher. Um, but he's having so much success with those pitches like it's hard to just not continue to stick to those so yeah i think um being that long relief guy who like that multi-inning high leverage bridge guy um which we've actually seen that's one of the roles that core really loves to have in his bullpen and that is a role that he knows how to use um and i think he feels extremely comfortable using Minkowski in that role obviously based on the comments that he made so yeah, I think it's working. It looks good. It passed the eye tests. It passed the stat tests. All it just that seems like the just the perfect role for him to be in. And Cora definitely has confidence in using him there. I agree. Hopefully, Cora doesn't overuse him. But he one of the reasons why they you know mentioned that this is a good role for him is because he does seem to have the ability to bounce back from these outings relatively quickly. So um, hopefully, this is a great spot for him going forward. It seems like it's going to be. Um, last thing we're going to talk about before we uh, get to the Muddy Rays, uh, who the Red Sox are playing right now, or were, is team defense. Has not been great so far for the Red Sox. Um, they are second in the league coming into tonight's game with eight errors um, behind only the lowly Oakland Athletics. Uh, Kike has been the guy who has stood out, and Bob, you mentioned this, so I'm going to go to you first. He's got five errors on the season. Um, four of them are throwing errors. One's a fielding error. He has seemed to move pretty well at that position. Um, 
is this something that you feel like he can eventually figure out or do you feel like this is just too much to ask of Kike Hernandez? Yeah, I think it's too much to ask and I don't know. I, I know, I understand why it unfolded this way. They didn't, well, for whatever reason, they felt confident that they would be able to sign Bogarts. They didn't know that the story injury was going to be as significant as it was. They, for whatever reason, thought if they traded for Mondesi that he would be healthy on opening day or ever. Um, but none of those things happened. So I get that it's the third or fourth plan of what they wanted to do. But it just, it, it never made sense to me. It never made sense to put somebody on the wrong side of 30 as the starting shortstop for the first time in their entire career. Um, it didn't, you know, we, we've talked about Duvall and he's played the position a little bit and he hasn't hit as well, right? And then he, he's he's hit better this year in that spot. So, but still that, that center field is where he had played the least in the outfield and then relying on Christian Arroyo to stay on the field. So it shouldn't be... A shocker. I mean, Duvall had an injury last year, too. It should not be a shocker that the defense has looked the way it has and that the defense has not um, been able to stay healthy. You know, we talked about the backup plan not being there, but I don't know. Like you said, I think that Enrique Hernandez has, you know, he's got the confidence to play the position. He looks the part, but I just don't think he's going to have the range. And now he's made four throwing errors. I mean, so I, I wrote on Thursday a little bit about this. Just it's a small sample. So, I mean, Everything's a small sample right now, but they they did have the 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 worst defensive run saved. They're 29th right now, and Hernandez is worse in all of baseball any position. You know, it's above average, so it's not going well so far. And I just think that they have a major kind of a defensive hole at short, and then just an everything hole in center field. And it just seems, as I mentioned earlier, that the obvious move is to move Hernandez to center field, where we know he plays above average defense so that at least you can take care of one of those two spots. Uh, my fear is that they have a shortstop that can't uh, play defense and then they have a center fielder that can't hit um, and the catcher spot being a black hole as well. And then you've got three spots in your lineup that you're getting negative production from. I think that's probably too much. Seems like a conversation that we had about 50 times in the off season predicting this kind of exact thing um, because this always felt like it was a fourth or a fifth option for this team. Um, but yeah, here we are. Um, Keaton, do you feel any more optimistic than Bob does that Kike can figure out this position? No. Um, but at the same time, at least hopefully he, I guess, shouldn't have to for a whole lot longer, I guess the end of the month is still kind of far away. <laughs> uh, that's assuming everything goes right. Uh, with well, it's end of May, summer. right? Oh, is it? Yeah, because it's a 60-day. If you're thinking about Mondesi, it's 60 days. I was that's a long time. Mondesi. Yeah, Yeah. god damn it. I think um, they have to make a move. Um, yeah, they really do. It's just not for him. You guys don't want to see Yu Chang every day at shortstop? I don't. No. Or Bobby Dalby. But, but I I don't know. There were people that were sitting out there and we were talking about it every week for a month that could have been signed for $3 million. <laughs> that they just ignored all of it. Yeah. It makes no... It I've never been nice. more confident about anything in my life that I could have built a better Red Sox team than Heim right. Bloom over the last four years. Well, in 2021, we talked so frequently about the batting average on balls in play and how... Ivaldi had a run and a half difference between his FIP and his ERA and how many, I mean, it was historically bad, the BABIP in 2021, which I think they tried to make a little bit better last year, but it wasn't that much better. I mean, their metrics as a team are in the bottom third every year on these, on these run saves for the season. Um, I, I don't think that Bloom cares about defense. I think, uh, I don't think he has in any of these years and, this is the most glaring out of all of them. Not good. Not good. All right. Let's talk about these Rays. Uh, the Rays have begun the season 10-0. We're 9-0 coming into tonight. Beat you one to nothing. 
And now they are the only defeated, un, only undefeated team in baseball this year. Bob, we have to give you a little golf clap, a little uh, round of applause here for you predicting that this team would win the division. Obviously, it's 10 games in, so there's a lot more work to do, but they certainly look like the wagon that you predicted them to be. And this is before they even get Glasshound back into this rotation. So, um, you know, how are they doing this? What's been the secret to their success early on? I mean, it starts with the pitching, and I guess it's been everything, because until Monday night's game, they had not won a game by less than four runs. There hadn't been a safe situation yet for Fairbanks, so they've really done everything. Um, but they've figured out every pitcher that they have brought in from other teams, they have added a pitch, and that includes Jeffrey Springs, which is very touchy subject. But between Springs and Rasmussen and Eflin... Um, and then, of course, the glass now trade from a few years ago um, with Archer going the other way that ended up being quite a heist. <clears throat> They've just found something with every one of these pitchers, and it's no surprise that they're doing the same thing with Eflin this year. And then you've got McClanahan as the ace. So it's just all of the pitchers have been excellent. You know, they, they have not played. I think they played Oakland for three or four games there and that's what's going to happen when you play Oakland but they've done it against everyone that they've played now including Boston on Monday night and for me it's just I think that people were sleeping on Wander Franco a little bit um you know he's 22 years old and he had some fluky injuries last year and he was the number one prospect in baseball and number one prospect in several years in baseball when he got called up and you know there was a lot of hype there and I think that, you know, I, I felt that he was a potential breakout and he has been so far with power and speed and defense. And, um, you know, he had a, like a 40 game on base or something in his rookie season before he was even he might have been 20 years old when he did that. So I just think that he's going to be, you know, along with the way that Rosarena plays and, and Yanny Diaz and Lawa's power, th there's just a lot going on there. And they obviously have a good manager and behind the scenes they are uh, just kind of making things happen to get the most out of all of their players uh, and felt like they spent a little more money in this offseason than they had previously yeah and with tonight's uh, home run by Brandon Lau um, they added to their league leading total of 25 home runs and I think the next highest home run total for any team was 18 uh, coming into today so uh, the lineup which we thought would be good enough um, is proving to be the best in the league so far. So if you get that with the pitching, um, it's going to be a nice little recipe. Bob, you do another great show here at the uh, site um, called the, the Precap Podcast, but how many games did you predict on the Precap that the Red Sox would be able to win against these Rays if you predicted any? Felt like it was going to be a split, but coming off the high, um, you know, I thought, you're feeling kind of confident that things might, you know, start to level out for the Rays uh, while, you know, you kept the confidence that you built off of the lowly Tigers going. So you I felt kind of confident that they could go in there and get two and that really felt like they should have gotten it tonight and then just kind of let them got away from him at the end, which is really frustrating. But the thing that really has kind of stood out to me, which um, – you 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 hit on at the end there was the homers. Um, this lineup has never really been like a really power lineup. They've always just hit you to death, um, and they've taken that up a notch by just hitting the absolute shit out of the ball. And that's that makes this lineup like a whole new dimension of scary. So no games, no games to the Sox win in this series. I thought they'd get one. You think they're going to get one? What do you think, Bob? You think they'll get one? Oh God! If they don't get one out of four, what are we doing? Um, yeah, I think they're going to get one. I don't think it's unreasonable that they can get two, but knowing, knowing that they've lost one, I think we got to go with one. I think this is the game that they were going to get if they were going to get one and they didn't Oof. get it. So I think so they're going to get swept. you're calling 13-0 at least. Yep. They're going to make another, the next money, money ball two is going to be about the start of the 2023 <laughs> season. <laughs> yep. All right, let's get to our listener questions. Our first one comes from Patio D, 
And he says, how is that uh, Duval injury leads to Bobby Dahlbeck getting called up? We talked about that, especially his success against lefties. And our next best center field is our shortstop. Yep, we definitely do not have depth up the middle. You're absolutely right, Patty O.D. This is why we've been crapping on Bloom's roster construction um, for many, many months and years at this point. He says his question is, does Heim Bloom even give a shit about this MLB roster? Um, guys, if you don't mind, I'll take this one first. Um, <laughs> Go for it. I've never felt since Heim Bloom has been here, really since I gave him a pass in 2020 in that weird, you know, COVID shortened year, um, just figuring things out. But no, it's never really felt like he gives a shit about this major league roster. It seems he um, just looks at the obvious moves that could be made to improve this team and goes to another move and with potential upside or an extra year on uh, the contract or, you know, some type of cost saving measure. I think that Heim Bloom is here to maximize profits for uh, Red Sox ownership far more than he is to actually win games. Um, I think that he, in his mind, some like twisted way. I don't know what's going on up there, but like, I think he thinks he's doing something to try and win games for this roster, but I just don't think he's very good at it. Um, long story short, I think he's pretty crappy at his job and I think he would be a much better accountant than he would be uh, a baseball general manager. And I think he should give me his job, but when it happens, it's going to be awesome. Exactly. Here we go. Anybody else have anything they want to no, I think this was a phenomenal question. This is it, the best is. Twitter question that we've gotten in a long time. I mean, Patty O'D has, has really captured uh, all of our frustration in like three lines. Yeah, I read it and just... We should have opened the show with that, but what can you do? <laughs> All right. Well, our next one comes from Gordon Comstock, and he says, why do you think that Bloom hasn't been able to transfer whatever Tampa does to the Red Sox? I've got to assume there are techniques and measurements they focused on that he would have been privy to, but it seems strange that they can't replicate it to some degree so far. So another thing that I wanted to add, and I know I'm kind of taking these questions right off the bat, but Please. in that big bloom piece that Alex Spear did, one of the things that he talked about in this, and I think less of Alex Spear recently because I believe he's a bit of a mouthpiece for the Red Sox, but you know, whatever. Um, he has been focusing a lot on the processes underneath of pitching development and how they use their, analytics staff and their coaching staffs and like all this work that's going on under the hood of how a baseball team is run and how player development is done that bloom has done really well. And that's stuff that like can't be seen by the average person, um, but will eventually trickle up to how successful player development is in a club. And I think that that is potentially true, but until that starts being reflected in, um, the ranking of the farm system and the product on the field, which can take years, more years than he'll probably be allowed to, you know, run out a subpar major league team. Uh, I think it's a pretty crappy strategy to just do that part and not do, you know, fixing the major league team stuff. So, and I think Bloom gets too much credit for what the Rays were doing. They had a lot of other talented people uh, there while he was there. Um, so I don't know. What do you guys think? I think that what the Rays do with every spot on the 40 man roster is why they have been great at this, you know, trading Ronaldo Hernandez for, Jeffrey Springs or Jalen Beeks or whatever other names, the just every reliever, the JP Fireisens and these guys that they bring in, and and then from there you need to make an adjustment with their pitch mix. They maximize every single spot, and they have to do that because of 
how much money they have to spend. And Boston, I think, screws up every one of their 40-man spots um, time and time again and made mistakes this year and have, yeah, they have a better farm system, but it is not moving ahead with the the um, urgency that it needs to to become one of the great farm systems in the league that they can just pull from, like the Dodgers. Like, they want to be more like the Dodgers because they can spend money, but they don't have a farm system that when people go down that they can just plug the next guy in. They're plugging Bobby Dahlbeck in at shortstop. So I just think that Tampa has executed what they do with their 40-man a hundred times better than what Boston has done. Yeah, they keep saying... People keep saying they want to be like the Dodgers, but... They, they don't have the farm system that the Dodgers have, like you mentioned, and they also don't spend on the major league team like the Dodgers do. So no. I don't see the comparison at this point. What do you think, Keats? M- Mookie Betts is in L.A. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the depth for both of those teams is what makes the difference. Like Tampa has always had really strong depth. It hasn't been like flashy. But it's always been really talented and effective. And uh, for whatever role it is that they're playing, they've been able to slot guys in without missing a beat. Same thing with this Dodgers, you know, over the last, whatever it is, five years or however long it's, it's been. The depth of the Dodgers bench, uh, both in bullpen and for position players, is extremely strong. If a guy goes down, they can easily slide them in there. The approach to the depth for the Red Sox and the approach that Bloom has taken has just been completely different than the way that Tampa or the Dodgers approach it. That's trying to nickel and dime guys that basically do like one thing, but can also defensively play at like eight different positions. And it just hasn't worked. Um, they really need to jump on those guys in free agency and it should be the easiest ones to sign in free agency. Cause you're only going, you know, like you talked about earlier, like spending 3 million bucks on a guy, uh, to be able to plug a hole defensively at uh, second and short, um, who can you know hit for something if God forbid you have an injury. Now we're seeing what happens when that happens. So it's just the approach to the depth has been completely different than the way those other successful teams have approached it, and it's been the most frustrating piece of his tenure for me. I would say. Yeah, his his whole tenure has been frustrating. I cannot wait till he's gone. So. Uh... Even though I want them to have a good season, the good side of them having a bad season is maybe he's gone finally. So that'd be nice. Good questions today, though. Yeah, great question. Both. Both awesome. Yep. All right, guys. Well, that's our show today. We do hope you enjoyed it. Um, please, uh, you know, send us email questions if you can at redseatpodcast at gmail.com. We will check for questions there. You can also send us questions on Twitter. You can find Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can find Bob at Bob Osgood 15. You can find me at, at Dev Jake. And uh, if you want to look at a certain Red Sox website, you can find uh, the Red Sox website over the monster at over the monster. So thank you very much for joining us and we'll be with you again next week. <laughs>